Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. This week, we're reviewing... Another comedy. This comedy comes to us from the late 1980s, and it is Good Morning, Vietnam. That's right, it may have taken us almost 50 episodes, but we've hit Robin Williams, everyone. Yes! Uh, Yes, the the, uh, absolutely wonderful Robin Williams, the star of Good Morning, Vietnam. And joining me to review this film, we have, as always, someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, uh, and this... Uh, surprise me a little bit, given your your fandom of Mr. Williams. It's uh, it's Ellen Sears, everybody. Hello. You just said it wrong. You got to say it the right way, though. You got to say "Good morning, Vietnam." I haven't seen it, even I know. Even I know that's how you have to say it. That's true. That's true. So <laughs> what you're saying is, I should have started the podcast by going "Hello, everybody," like that, more or less. Okay. Well. Uh, I bet some people will be glad that I didn't, because that was maybe a little <laughs> loud. Um, so you have not seen Good Morning Vietnam. No, I somehow missed this one. You know why? I reckon it's because it was never on the telly when I grew up, or if it was, we just never recorded it. That's fair. Off the TV. So, what, yeah. what do you know about it? Obviously, it's set during the Vietnam War, and that he's a... Uh, Robin Williams plays a disc jockey who gets into a lot of trouble, from what I understand, in some capacity. I know very bare, basic bones stuff about it, and I'm pretty sure it's based on a true story. Is that correct? It's, yeah, yeah, the character he plays is based on a yeah. real-life person. Yeah, I thought um, so. That's, yes. that's, that's literally about it. And I feel like there's going to be some point where he's going to get in trouble because they're like, no, you can't be doing the disc jockey thing the way that you're doing it because that's not because that tends to be the way these films go mm. and then he triumphs above all haha i'm presuming that's going to be what what happens well uh joining us to uh help us discover this together we have our guest who has seen the film uh returning for the first time in 2018 it's alex mcveigh hello everyone it's nice to have you back alex it's uh, pleasure w- to be here Stephen. welcome to 2018 um, it's a pleasure to be finally as March <laughs> into 2018. Uh, and just a reminder for the folks at home, uh, who are you, Alex, and what do you do? <laughs> um, I think they're probably the same answer. Um, I'm an... Uh, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> and you lawyer. Really, I don't really have anything else interesting to say about that. I, I've done some acting in the past and mm-hmm. um, have obviously acted with yourself, Stephen, a uh, couple of times, uh, mm-hmm. including last year's Fringe Festival. Um, but now I'm I'm just a nine to five lawyer. Nine to five lawyer, an honest salt of the earth uh, <laughs> criminal investigator. Uh, is it criminal, criminal uh, law or? I won't go into too much detail. Okay, no, no, that's fine. <laughs> you know, let's just say he signed a waiver. Let's just say he's really high up in criminal investigations. <laughs> that's, that's not what we're saying at yeah. all. That is not <laughs> what we're saying. Okay, no, but yes, uh, Alex is um, is a lawyer, and Alex, you have seen Good Morning Vietnam. I have, but I feel like I remember less about it than Ellen has heard about it. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I remember fairly similar things. 
how long ago was it uh, since you last saw it? It would have been a long time ago. I think I probably did catch it on TV when I was a kid growing up. So, mm. um, it yeah, would have been at least 10 years ago since I've seen it. Fair enough. And um, what are your thoughts on uh, Mr. Robin Williams, of course? Because he's kind of the draw card for this film. Absolutely. He's always the draw card. <laughs> he's brilliant. I, I think he's brilliant. I grew up watching a fair amount of his stuff. There's still a couple of movies I'm yet to see. Uh, but, yeah, between this and, you know, the really camp comedies like Mrs. Doubtfire or the more serious ones like Patch Adams, um, I am a, a big Robin Williams fan. And obviously it has been a while since you've seen this film, but in terms of the performance, uh, would, would you say that this is this is one of his like up there most iconic performances or or would you say that um there are others which if you haven't been introduced to robin williams you should probably seek out first um difficult to say because i I don't remember specifically his performance in this but from memory it's one of those quintessential robin williams comedy meets drama films so even though it maybe isn't a film that a lot of people have seen compared to some of his um his other work it's definitely one that should be on the must-see list all right, well, speaking of must-see, uh, must we see it right now? I think we must. I feel like the last time I was on here, Stephen hadn't seen the film either. I don't think you'd seen Doctor No when I was here last time. I had, but it had been a very long time. Right, um, okay. Yes, no, there are there are a litany of films which I have, I have still not seen, which is why this podcast is a really good thing for me. Absolutely. Well, I'm happy to be here as your... Um, Spiritual Cinematographic guide. Sherpa. <laughs> oh, well, uh, in that case... Um, Thank you, Tenzing, and let's let's <laughs> climb this Everest together as we prepare to watch Good Morning Vietnam. Welcome back, everyone! That's right, we've just finished watching Good Morning Vietnam, and I'm joined once again by Miss Ellen Sears. Hello. And Mr. Alex McVeigh. Hello. So, guys, we have just finished watching Good Morning, Vietnam. Ellen, as the first-time viewer, what did you think? Yeah, it was all right. It was kind of like all of the war movies all put together, like... Mm. Essentially, everything that I thought was going to happen more or less happened in some capacity or other so so a little predictable uh yeah but i think that's partially just a product of uh you know it it came out so long ago and there's been so many films since then that have done very similar sort of things Mm. so yeah and i mean there were bits where i was just like oh look it's like an episode of mash oh look it's like forrest gump oh look it's like this other war film oh look it's like this it's Mm. it's a very well trodden period of history a lot of times i was watching and going like oh wow it's like i feel like i'm back watching miss saigon again like the heat is on in saigon like Mm. you know you just well you know same setting so absolutely absolutely no it was very well kind of trodden territory but was it enjoyable yeah, I enjoyed it. I think it's one of those... You know how sometimes you have films now and... I mean, obviously, uh, Robin, Robin Williams improvises a lot of his lines hmm. in this. Um, but looking at kind of like a lot of stuff now, like scripts are very clean and people don't talk over the top of each other and, hmm. and those kind of things. And this wasn't like that. I don't know um, how to sort of differentiate between them. But you, yes, you, you get films something like, I don't know, like a recent example that does the opposite or we do, which does something similar to this is something like Iron Man where they're just talking over top of each other and it's very natural and it's very improvised and da-da-da-da-da-da. And sometimes that can make it a little bit harder to follow. I found sometimes I was like, what's going on? 
with this film. Like I'm, I'm getting the gist from the body language, but I'm not necessarily following some of the finer points. I feel like I might need to watch it again at some point. Okay, but all in all, pretty good. Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. I don't think it's my favorite Robin Williams film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was enjoyable. It was cool. all right. And Alex, of course, uh, first time watching it in, in a while for you. Uh, how was it revisiting Good Morning Vietnam? I. I, I'm not too sure. I think it was good. It was enjoyable. Mm. I think it's an enjoyable film. Um, I think one of the comments that I made towards the end there or, or that uh, you and I, Stephen, sort of had said was that if you took out all of the establishing shots and all of the <laughs> yeah. sort of nice visual mm. pieces in this film and any of the sort of radio sort of ramblings of Robin Williams, there's not much in it. No, it and that, that was something that surprised me as well, is that it's quite light. Uh, not it, a lot it, happens. It, yeah, not a lot happens. It's also a bit predictable. Oh, yeah. um, which which is not necessarily a a bad thing with with films. You know, I don't think a film has to be uh, constant surprises and turns the entire way through. But no, that can get exhausting. Mm, but it's um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting because I I hadn't seen this film before we watched it today, and I actually kind of got what I expected. Um, yeah. In that in that it was Robin Williams in front of a microphone, which you know is usually great, and you know <laughs> he was very good in this as well, but. Beyond that, there isn't a huge amount to it. It's it's essentially, you know, somebody turns up in an environment uh, and is proving to be popular and the people in a slightly higher position of power are trying to get them down and then they can't because they're too popular. But, you know, it's it's kind of like... It's, it's, it's fine. And uh, I think that one of the things that it suffers a little bit for me is... I, I, it's not very funny. It's no. funny... He's. I think. Yeah. I think it's not that. I think it's that Robin is funny and his character is funny, but the mm. actual, the rest of the story is not funny. Everything no. else that happens, in and it I know a lot of it is not funny. Isn't meant to be funny, you know. Oh, like, yeah, you no. know, Because it's it's that whole thing of you know showing the as a lot of these films in the eighties did when they were focusing on Vietnam, showing uh, that the conflict was such a horrible thing and that it was. Um, Awful and generally showing that, you know, 20th century mechanised warfare is kind of bad. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it, it just felt... I, I Yeah, it's, it's a weird one, in, in just, just having just finished it, where it's like, I enjoyed it. I certainly think there were really good moments in it, but I also feel as though maybe it's, it's not going to live long in the memory. And I think maybe that's why it doesn't stand out as a Robin Williams film because so many of his films do live long in the memory. Mm. Um, and I think it was interesting, Ellen was talking before about films of a similar ilk. Mm. And I think potentially what sets this, this one apart or what gives this one a slightly different character than the other mm. sort of war films I'm thinking of is the it's got it includes such a sharp juxtaposition between the comedic and the dramatic. I yeah. think that yeah. to if, if you were if you were pitching this idea to a room full of producers and you said Robin Williams as a comedy DJ but in the midst of the Vietnam War you know all of a sudden that conjures up this sharp juxtaposition you go I really want to see how that plays out yeah. um, whereas a lot of those other films like uh, just thinking about someone who comes or doesn't come in necessarily they're already there but something like Sergeant Bilko with Steve Martin yeah, yeah. obviously a, a comedy film um, and it's um, it's uh, it's not meant to be a, a serious film, but it has a similar yeah. sort of theme of someone who's, you know, um, having too much fun with their military role and has to be mm. pushed down. Mm. But the, it's the context here that makes it really dramatic. Yeah, I think that uh, 
Sergeant Bilka, for example, is a... If you were going to say what genre is that film, you'd say, oh, well, it's a comedy, but it's also a war film sort of thing. Well, not necessarily war film, but, you know, it's like an army type type thing. But yeah, it's you, military, go, yeah. Yeah, it's military, but you'd go for comedy first, whereas this, I think, is definitely not... It's not a comedy. I think it's a war kind of drama film that just happens to have Robin Williams in it. And can I just say, I, something that I really loved about this is Robin Williams, obviously, was an absolutely spectacular comedic actor so so amazing and a brilliant stand-up and all those things um but I love I love getting to see him in dramatic roles because he's such a brilliant dramatic actor and that whole the whole bit where um the um bar gets blown up Mm. and his immediate responses in the aftermath of that and not really being able to do anything about it but just being obviously really upset by the whole thing and then going into the radio station and just going Screw it, I don't care. I'm just going to say the thing and I don't even care. You're not even going to stop me. I'm going to lock the door. Ha ha. But just that beautiful thing of him as that character sort of trying to work his way through that grief and the horror and this thing that he'd just seen while also trying to keep it light and make it funny and, Mm. and do that kind of thing. And he plays that so well. And it's the same thing in Patch Adams. You see that really clearly, that same sort of character, an inherently funny character who is dealing with really really horrible things and trying Mm. to deal with things with humor and i think that's something that he has always done really beautifully Mm. and that's something that i love about watching him as an actor yeah absolutely i I absolutely agree with that i think just thinking about it now as well i mean the first thing you talk about this film is the fact that robin williams is in it he's you know he's the the sort of draw card in in terms of getting someone to watch this film god he's so good Um, i miss him so much (laughs) and he is very very good at what he does um but I think another interesting thing about this film is that it's it's not really a, about him. I feel like no. the the film is is um, set up and and sort of it, it's um, it plays out to be so focused on everyone else. Mm. And I think that's uh, Robin Williams' character is obviously trying to trying to Adrian Cronauer's trying to um, sort of come to terms with what else what is going on around. But going through and getting all the names of the military people when they're caught in the traffic jam, you know, that's yeah. obviously putting it back on those people and creating characters. These, these people um, are real people and it's not about me, it's about all the yeah. other things over there. And, and a lot of the times that he's being funny, there are shots of other soldiers laughing. Mm. And there are that's why they have all these beautiful uh, visuals and, you know, they have a montage yeah. of everyone doing what they are doing. And, and when he's sitting around making jokes, it's a whole bunch of other star- military staff members who are sitting around laughing at them. Mm. He's not making jokes in isolation. Mm. Um, I would have to go back through and actually pay attention to watch out for that specifically, but I have a feeling that most times that he's making jokes, the focus is on the people he's making laugh. Yeah. It's not on him. No, it's not. Um, so I think, funnily enough, it's not a it's not a film about <coughs> Robin Williams or Adrian Cronauer. It's yeah. really a film mm. about the Vietnam conflict, and it just happens to be sort of seen and Framed. processed through the lens mm. of... Yeah. of his character. And I think it's it's also the way that they book in the movie really beautifully with the um him arriving on the plane um and then him leaving on the plane at the end as well. So it's very much bookended with this is a very kind of small part of this conflict. Mm. Like this is really just a little tiny tiny snapshot of the whole thing and one little bright light mm. in the corner of so much horribleness because it was an incredibly bloody conflict. I think it's interesting that 
just focusing on the very start and the very end of the film. So, you know, the start of the film and he gets off the plane and he's picked up by uh, Private Garlic, played by Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker's so great in this. Yeah, uh, and then when he's dropped so off by um, by Garlic at the end. Are you going to talk about the costume? Uh, I will get onto that. It was more the um, I liked the shots around what was happening. When, when uh, Adrian arrives, uh, turning up um, at, at the start of the film, we see... Um, it, we, we, it's mostly focused on him. It's mostly focused on him, and it's all good. Um, and, you know, everything is okay, and, and we're seeing garlic. But then when we get to the end of the film, he is looking at everything that's happening around him. And I think a lot of this film, in terms of, you know, the character of um, Adrian, is focusing on the fact that he is basically um, changing. Uh, he changes. He's, he's not as selfish. He's not as... Um, self he's not selfish not self-centered everything becomes a bit more focused on the conflict around him about the people around him yeah and and about the war yeah specifically i thought it was really interesting how obviously when he turns up he's kind of in not in uniform obviously um Mm. and he's sort of you know flouting authority and he's wearing like sandals and he's obviously been sort of like deployed in far off climbs for a while and the first thing that he does basically is like on the way to think to um the base is he's just constantly like, oh, all these beautiful women, I'm going to jump all these beautiful women, and da 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 which is a bit, like, mm, uncomfortable, but it's 1965, I'm, it's Vietnam, I'm not particularly surprised by this kind of characterization. And then there's, um, what was, oh my gosh, what was her name? The girl who was chasing after. Trin? Trin, yes. Trin, yeah. So, with Trin, obviously, he sees her finally one day, and he chases after her, and he spends a lot of time chasing after her, and then by the end of it, it's kind of a case of, she's going, you know, it's wrong place, wrong time, this is never, ever going to work, mm. um, and nothing ever really eventuates there, and he kind of goes, yeah, no, I get that now. So, rather than running around and just chasing skirt, which is what he starts off doing, he sort of evolves a little bit more as a character which was nice and then if you notice at the very very end rather than being in all of his very casual sort of um cities he's back in his uniform full proper uniform when yeah he leaves and he very much becomes invested in the conflict I, th- I think that's a really interesting fact is the fact that you know he, he's in saigon for five months is it in total something like it, that. it's about five months it's well, not he's also not an army man he's an air force man <clears throat> mm. but he's, so... he's but he becomes shaped by the conflict around him in in a way that I, I suppose would be almost unavoidable if you were oh, yeah. on the ground in in the Vietnam War. In um, Saigon, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously um we've some really good we've some really good uh, actors appearing in this. We just mentioned Forrest Whitaker as Garlic and he's so he's just so likable. Like Forrest Whitaker is just one of those people that's a very likable face and very likable manner. And um, he's so tall. <laughs> Robin mm. Williams looks like a tiny person next to him. And I know Robin Williams wasn't a very tall man, but like Forrest Whitaker is huge. Mm. He's massive. Yeah, but he he's um he's 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 nice. Again, it's not a character that goes through a massive development. No. Um he takes over the show at the end. Um yeah. and he talks a little bit about trying to develop his own style and voice throughout the thing, but it it's a small thing that just adds to the world as opposed to being a a big character arc. I feel like potentially if you um yeah, had less of the other sort of... I don't want to call it filler so as to discredit it because it's important mm. in the way that the film actually ends up. But if you if you were to expand the, the actual hard plot of the film, I think the next character to get a little bit of development would have been Garlic so that when he takes over the radio program at the end, there's a, a little bit more a sense of 
character development and, and triumph there. But at the moment, it's just, oh, yeah, makes sense. Someone mm. had to. Yeah, yeah it's kind of... It, the, the way that this, this movie comes across, it's very realistic. It's just kind of, this happens, and then the thing happens, and then it happens, and it happens. And it, it, it could almost be like somebody just running around with a camera just filming this is what mm. actually happened like that's yeah. almost what it feels like and whereas i think if they did it now like say for instance if this film was never made or if somebody did a remake of it now i don't know what the hell they would but if somebody did a remake of this now i reckon it would be a lot more kind of like performative you'd have big blasting soundtrack you'd have you know it'd be awful yeah it would be <laughs> it would be it would be I, I i like it exactly the way that it is i think it's Lovely. Yeah, and it, it is interesting because obviously the character of uh, Adrian uh, Croner is based on a, an actual person called Adrian Croner, who was a DJ from sixty-five to sixty-six. I was for right. the military. I knew it was based on a real person. Um, he originally Adrian Croner actually wrote the original version of this script. Um, and oh wow! Yeah, he he was aiming for something that was a bit like. He originally thought it would suit better being like a TV show or a movie of the week thing, more in the style of MASH, um, that sort of um, I think MASH, or it, I think the thing is with MASH is that MASH did it so amazing. And you know what? Actually, speaking of MASH, you know who he reminds me a little of? He reminds me a little bit of Hawkeye Pierce. In that he's the protagonist? <laughs> no, no, no. Just like in that whole using humour to deal with a horrible, horrible situation. Mm. No, no, okay. Specifically. No, that's, that's fair. Um, and I mean, also, you know, Alan Alda has very nice blue eyes. That's true. So does Ron Williams. There you go. <laughs> um, but it, um, the the interpretation of uh, the events that happened to the real Adrian and what happened in this film are, um, I, I think the correct term would be loose. Uh, loose. Embellished, is, probably. Well, not, not so much embellished, just that they, um, the, the script was changed uh, several times, including by uh, Robin Williams himself, who um, mm. obviously pepped it up with uh, some wonderful... Uh, improv which which he does so well or did so well um but yes a lot of um a a lot of the things that happened in this didn't actually happen to adrian the the jimmy war uh, bar blowing up was based on an experience he had where he witnessed a bar bombing um he wasn't in the bar and got pulled out like happened in this film but he experienced um this this bar bombing and obviously a lot of the subsequent uh frustrations of both of, of the character Adrian were based on what actual Adrian experienced. Um, but in, in terms of um, the character, the real Adrian's not exactly anti-war, um, very much, uh, you know, like a staunch uh, Republican back the troops type person who's uh, still kicking it, 79, still involved, uh, helped work on George W. Bush's re-election campaign. So, you know, he's still actively involved <laughs> in politics and, wow. and working in that nature. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't mind the film, but yeah, in terms of how the character turned out, um, the way Robin played it, it was a bit different <laughs> from... Well, yeah, and I mean, artistic license, if it's based loosely on it, then it kind of makes sense that it wouldn't be exactly the same. And also, probably, considering when it came out, um, there might have also been strictures and things, like, you, c- you can't put that in a film, you can't put this in a film, because that's going to do this, that, and the other thing. Obviously, it's sort of a, a very political comment on the war and you know how horrible it was and all that kind of thing Mm. and there were a lot of films and media around this time that were looking at this conflict and other conflicts in that same sort of um part of the 20th century but yeah i can i could i could definitely see them being like oh we probably shouldn't put this in you know we might get in trouble from the government they might not be real happy if we do this there's like war files that are closed that we're not allowed to talk about Mm. (laughs) yeah um so we're introduced to some of the other military characters in this film. Um, 
I just want to take a moment to say just how fantastic a character Lieutenant Stephen Hawke is, uh, played by Bruno Kirby, who believes he knows what comedy is and has a very clear idea of how it should be and is proven throughout the film to to not really understand it. And and the thing the thing about getting Bruno Kirby in it is he's got a very particular style which suits... Um, you know, being in like a mob film, so much so that you know he's in Godfather too, <laughs> and um, he—it's the accent. Yeah, he's so <laughs> serious, and he's playing everything so straight, and not quite realizing sometimes when he is the butt of the joke that so it good. works so well in this film. When you've got Robin's uh, Adrian essentially just kind of dancing around him and and pulling the mick out of him, basically. Absolutely. I think the the poor guy. <laughs> mm. I mean, I don't feel that sorry for him. But, but you he, do feel a little sorry for li- him. Sorry, he's like, sorry he's, enough. He's the Malvolio of this yes. kind of... That's a really good shout. Yes, he's got a v- real... Sorry, who's Malvolio? Oh, from Twelfth Night. From uh, Twelfth Night, William Shakespeare. Yeah. For, um... <laughs> because if you just said Shakespeare, I would have gone, which one? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mal- um, Malvolio was a... Uh, Puritan. A, a, a Puritan. Uh, believed that, uh, that you basically can't have fun and was the, uh, the manservant to... Um, not Mariah. Olivia. Olivia, thank you. I um, played her, come on. Yes, no, sorry. I've, I know, I've been in two versions of that play, but it's so been have a I. Um, But anyway. yes, but very much just kind of like has a viewpoint of the world that can't be altered despite uh, the presentation of evidence <laughs> that people don't think, in this case, that Hawk is funny. Right. Well, given the uh, the arguments that are presented, I will say that is an apt analogy and I'll thank allow you. it. Thank Excellent. you. <laughs> thank you. Um it just occurred to me, and I went, "Oh, he is, he is, he re- he's Malvolio." Yeah, um, and it, it it is really just wonderful seeing him ha- have the mick taken out of him. Um, so good, but but it it just it fits in, and you know, it it serves its purpose in making you root a bit more for uh, Adrian as a character, generally as as a sort of um, general movie goer. Not many people are going in, unless you're, I don't know, Bruno Kirby's mum going. Um, you know, we want <laughs> we we generally as an audience want adrian to succeed mm. particularly when he's coming up against someone that it's then demonstrated when he temporarily takes over the show uh, whilst adrian is suspended that he's just not funny mm. um absolutely not funny at all he did he did get one thing right though polka music is great not for the guys who were listening to it mm. but it is great and it can be funny as proved by weird al that's true. He does great but, poker music, but poker music from the 1960s, maybe yeah, not. Yeah, Saigon 1965. <laughs> those guys wanted uh, the Stones. They they That's did not fair. want classic poker hits. Is it just uh, me, or is it a bit odd? Maybe this adds to the sort of realism of the piece mm. to have two villain characters. I thought that was an interesting way to establish that because when you have such a relatively short film that doesn't have an, an awful lot of sort of hard plot in it, um, to have two potentially villainous characters in both um, in both Lieutenant Hawke and um, Sergeant Major Diggerson. Yeah. That felt a bit um, out of the ordinary, maybe? I It didn't strike me as being particularly out of the ordinary. I think what it was was... I, I think it's maybe just... I think it's slightly better than just having one because then it just feels like, oh, if it wasn't for that one dickhead everything would be fine i you know I think, no the army's full of dickheads yeah and i think you know it's interesting seeing they have different viewpoints like hawk wants to get rid of adrian because he's too funny and he's trying to pick him up on really petty rules he's basically arnold rimmer from red dwarf you know complaining that 
you know, Lister can't do this and Lister can't do that. Whereas Dickerson is very much like he's from special ops. We're told that he's from a special ops team and he's now running a, essentially uh, this outpost in Saigon and taking everything very seriously. And, and then you know, he gets into Guam. Yeah. Because you suck. <laughs> yeah. It's a really, really good way of finishing off that Why character. Why are you sending me to Guam? Mm. So you can't make any more damage because you're a dickhead. Pretty <laughs> much. I don't like you. But the, and I think you do need a blowjob. Yeah. But it's, it's, I, I think maybe it was just to show that it, it's almost like um, that, that generational divide, which comes up in a lot of Vietnam films where you've got, you know, the foot soldiers who are all, you know, they want to listen to rock music and they want to um, smoke cigarettes and, and be cohort. And whereas the, the generation that are above them that are in positions of command are the generation who came through World War Two. Uh, you know, they're the generation Korea, that came yeah. through uh, and Korea and, you know, yeah. fighting, uh, being brought up and then potentially even being involved in a conflict that was generally billed as like, this is World War Two. It's 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 the essentially the ultimate in uh, the human good versus evil conflict in some respects, because they were fighting Nazis. And then you're going into this this war situation in Vietnam, which um, is they've now become an occupying force and um maybe there are some questions about whether or not they should be there and it's almost it's almost as though that you have this intergenerational conflict within the army itself Mm -hmm. and i think dickerson coming down hard on any sort of rabble rousing behavior even if it is just from a radio dj who's clowning around a bit um i think is because it's it's important to that older generation to maintain that control. And we have show, to yeah. we have to maintain the status quo. We have to follow the rules. Mm. So so yeah. So I think that adds to the realism of the piece because mm. I, I completely agree with the justification, the, the sort of explanation of why that might be. But I just think that it's it's an interesting narrative device mm. when a movie like this could very easily have pegged one villain who then gets mm. sent to Guam at the end of the film, and that's the big rejoicing moment. Um, as it happens, I don't think we got much of a resolution to Hawk. There was no, no general sort of stick it to him moment mm. because we didn't need it because it was a because realistic his life, film. And his life, life was sticking it to him. Well, <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> you know, like we, we, he, he got his comeuppance early on in the piece because it was proven to him that he is not funny. In my heart, I believe I'm funny. Yes, mm. you. I just want to give you a little pat on the head yeah. and say, yeah, okay. You and keep, ultimately... You keep chucking on, boy. Yeah, ultimately, Lieutenant Hawk is funny, but for all the wrong reasons. And D- Dickerson, I also really love the line at the beginning, that is humour. I recognise that. I just think he's such a wonderful, like, just completely... That, that sort of puritanism that, that comes through from from That is a villains. joke, and I believe it is funny. Yeah. I'm so, not going to laugh at it, but I believe it is a joke. <laughs> while we were watching it, I don't think... And I mean, no disrespect for Robin, Robin Williams here, of course, but I don't think we laughed at any of his radio rants. But there were a couple of really good one-liners in this film yes. um, that got all three of us laughing at different points in time. Mm. So mm. shout out to those um, one-liners yeah. coming up. I can't think of any off the top of my well, head. Well, uh, one that Ellen uh, half referenced uh, earlier, which is, I don't believe there's ever been a white man in history in more need of a blowjob, is a great, great insult. What a, what a great parting insult yeah. to that guy. Like, you're just such a... Mm piece of crap i hate you <laughs> yeah um, and so there good. were some good one-liners i think it's interesting that to me it the humor the the humor of the 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 uh the, the radio show itself the humor of the rants from that radio show did feel modern it didn't feel like something you would necessarily get in 1965 despite the fact that everything that um adrian was talking about 
were people from the time period or from just before the time period you know they're talking about uh the stones and little richard Elizabeth and elvis taylor. presley and uh, yeah uh taylor princess margaret um that's right you know all carry all, all people celebrities who were notable at the time but a lot of those jokes felt like you could have said them say on a film set in 1987 and it almost felt as though they were more distilled than maybe they would have been at the time yes that that was the impression i got they were still yeah good jokes and good observations you know um is, is mick jagger uh, a negative image of little richard is a funny line that is funny but but that's observational humor that came in in the 90s with jerry seinfeld and people like that like yeah. and robin williams yeah. of course yeah that's not necessarily i don't i don't imagine the comedy style the maybe were... yeah yeah so maybe yeah. the comedy style is not exactly what it would have but yeah. i think that's okay I, yeah. I actually don't have much of a problem with um films that go back and look at um, historic events with a sort of modern lens or a lens that otherwise tells the story. Now, because if you had Robin Williams telling jokes in the style of a 1960s comedian, the people who are watching it might not understand how irreverent that was supposed to be Mm. or, you know, get that same sort of impression. So so a bit of poetic license there, I think um, we'd all agree for for that. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. It's it's not a massive issue. It just, just, to me, it felt like it was something that... it, It felt slightly out of place. But then again... Adrian as a character was out of place. It's com- oh, yeah. it's a comedian in the Vietnam War. You know, mm. it's it's even though they they even mentioned Bob Hope. You know, the fact that you have these these big names in American entertainment that fly out and do like the USO show and things mm. things of that nature. It is still something that is very out of place. You have an airman who is literally there just to tell uh, radio reports, but does it with rock music and is. You know, being like essentially the substitute teacher type mm, character. Mm. Oh, he's the the what was he the only only army DJ to ever receive fan mail? Yeah, I think I said yeah. at one point. I don't know if that's true. No, no. It, it, well, it was a great line. Though. It was a great Again, line. You know, he, he, yeah, he's receiving ten thousand letters of fan mail. No one's ever got fan mail. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, it it maybe feels a little bit out of place, but at the same time, it works. Um, the whole subplot we touched on her a little bit before with Trin. Yeah, the, this, this and her brother and her brother um, uh, Tuan, and um, the fact that Adrian essentially goes to teach an English class because he wants to get laid, which does feel a bit like it was almost like something out that of that might like, be a, a a little oversimplification um, of that. But I think I think no, no, that's he, that's what he was doing. That's more or less what he was trying <laughs> yeah. to do. He wanted to have sex with that twenty-two-year-old oh, Vietnamese girl. I don't think it was any more gentlemanly than that. But mm. I, I don't no. know if it was quite. And and I also don't know we, though we seem to have worked out that the actress would have been about twenty-two at the time. She probably I was don't playing know if the character younger. was. She was playing to be a young, uh, presumably of age, Vietnamese woman. Uh, and certainly, um, you know, when you look at uh, what happened in the Vietnam conflict, and certainly to the people of Vietnam, um, oh, yeah. y- y- there are certainly uh, higher crimes uh, to consider. But in the context of this film, you've got someone who, as Alan said at the beginning, has just come from Crete. And, you know, he, he makes that comment of going, I spent all these- this time in Crete, and I never thought I'd find a woman attractive again, but look at all these beautiful ladies. And, yeah, he uh, was it- saying they all look like Zorba the Greek over there. Yeah, and he's, he's got this very um, clear goal at the beginning where he's kind of like you know i want to date an attractive lady and all, an attractive all that, vietnamese lady yeah and all what that entails there was there was, there was a big thing with orientalism and all hmm. that kind of thing as well and it led to an entire generation of children who <laughs> were you know half vietnamese half american and they had lots of troubles hmm. trying to kind of reconcile that that's that's like basically the entire plot of miss saigon right there in the yeah. door. And, Boy, i think they're called yeah and so you have um this as the motivation but 
you know, ultimately ends up being something which is uh, both good and bad for Adrian. Good in that he makes friends with an entire uh, community in Saigon and teaches them English and then at the end teaches them softball. Uh, that old lady in the blue dress. Oh, gosh, she's yeah. great. And, you know, it takes them to the cinema to watch. I think it was like a Beach Boys film. Yeah, You know, they, they have the, all these things. But at the same time, he's introduced to Tuan, who ends up being like the reason he gets kicked out of Saigon because it turns out that Tuan is a... Uh, is is a Viet Cong is is a member of 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 the enemy, who was using Adrian, es- essentially to help in his VC activities, um, and it's mm. it's really interesting because you have that wonderful sequence at the end where he's chased him down and they're they're having that sort of shouting match and Tuan is basically saying you know you're the enemy you shouldn't be here yeah it's like you know you shouldn't be here you killed my mother you killed my nine year old brother you killed my neighbor you killed my neighbor's partner you've killed so many people. You know, and essentially just showing no remorse for using Adrian whatsoever. Essentially saying, you know, so what? You lost your radio DJ in the army. I'm, Big I've, I've lost my mother. I've lost family. Yeah, my, my entire country screwed up now. Yeah. And it's entirely the fault of you and your country. Mm. And the conflict and resolution in this film is really centred around um, Adrian being sent sort of on assignment away from the radio um sort of division when he has a falling out with his, his superiors mm. when the Tuan conflict comes along that's another sort of conflict towards the end doesn't get a resolution really that no. shouting match is the closest they get to a resolution and it ends and yeah. that's it so and then you don't so, know if Tuan gets killed or not or what you never we never find out so but the, the thing is is Adrian as a character probably wouldn't find out yeah, exactly. I, I feel as though. From, oh, I agree. Yeah, for, for, oh, no, I definitely agree. But yeah. from a but from a narrative point of view, yeah. the story conflict is him in his position in the radio, mm. um, and then when he finds this out, it's it's not it's not developed in an in an awful lot of detail. No. In that you know, you don't find out if Tuan dies. You don't find out if. And I appreciate from a, again the realism in this story. I completely understand why he wouldn't have found out, and we can absolutely justify it from a realistic point of view. But at the end of the day, it is still a story. It's still a narrative, and yeah. it's interesting to introduce that conflict at the end and then not resolve it mm. um, in in any way. And that could have been anything. That could have been a radio report saying, you know, we got that last Viet Cong spy boy that was in the city, mm. um, yeah. and and that could have been played in the background while he flies off in his plane. You know, there, there would have been lots of different more subtle, realistic ways to resolve that conflict mm. but it didn't really need to which i think leaves a particular taste in the mouth of the viewer yeah um about there's the, no the resolution here well i mean and, and at the time that he leaves vietnam the there's no resolution in fact it's yeah. getting worse yeah and mm. they, they actually have the the uh typed message at one mm. point where uh president uh johnson says that it's the gonna conflict's worse. gonna get worse before it improves yeah uh, and and they're shipping well, in all these new boys. That's exactly and... how the film ends. It gets mm. worse um, mm. before it improves, and the improving is only that he's temporarily leaving while all these other soldiers are pouring in. I mm. think the fact as well that there's no real resolution to a lot of these things is nice because it kind of shows as well, you know, there's no real neat, clean, tidy way to look at this conflict, you know. Mm. And they're looking at it and going, you know, were we in the right, were we in the wrong, you make up your own mind about this, whether or not. And, and you know... Um, when he sort of says, you know, like, they don't see us as, the Americans don't see us as people. They see us as, like, animals. They just shoot us. They just slaughter us, essentially. Mm. And 
yeah, it's. I think it's. But it never goes into it in any detail, which is no. what's interesting. And it could have. Mm. I'm yeah. not saying it should have, but it really doesn't touch on that subject very much at all. Mm. Um, it's it's raised right kind of at the end. Glosses over it. Yeah, and so I think. And what you were saying before about this being potentially a series or a movie of the week thing, I think potentially you could you could turn this into a far shorter film mm. that gets across the sort of major points and leaves you thinking. Whereas in terms of general films of, you know, an hour and a half to two hours, two and a half hours mm-hmm. that you would expect to see on a, you know, a night at home on the TV or, you know, scroll through Netflix and go I'll watch this those films generally leave you with some sort of sense of accomplishment by the end. Yeah, Whereas this accomplishment one... and resolution because, mm. yeah, basically the pleasure receptors in your brain start going, oh, everything's all been wrapped up in a nice little bow. And brains yeah. like that because they like connecting all the dots together. Mm. But this, you're just connecting dots together and at the end it's like, that didn't actually make a picture. It's just kind of made a big scribble. But, but then again, it's yeah, based sure. on... It, I mean, I think it ultimately reflects the fact that this is based on one person's experience of of a year maybe less in saigon in the mid 60s uh and i think to try and give it you know i think this film would have been massively um undercut in in its potential value by having any sort of more positive or uh complete resolution than we get i think you know had it been you know he he and trin make a connection she's like i'll come to america to find you no no that that that, that would have been a really bum note had it been you know he he saves that's twan what the or, problem was with miss saigon yeah he saves <gasps> twan or or uh, twan uh like dies in his arms after getting shot in the street no that that also would undercut it in my opinion i i think it's it is interesting, and I, I agree with you, that I think that this film could have been put together in a more effective way to tell those stories better. It's a two-hour film, and um, it doesn't need to be. Uh, mm. I, I certainly agree with that. Um, but, but at the same time, to be honest, I think it it fits quite well within that sort of overall um, movement of films that we had in the 80s, That looking at this conflict. And, yeah, it's... I think I like it ultimately. It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's interesting. You get to the end of it and it's kind of like It's like a Coen Brothers film. You get to the end and you're like I'm not entirely sure what I just watched and mm. whether I liked it or not. Mm. And I should <laughs> clarify that I'm not definitely suggesting that it that it should have these particular resolutions yeah. or that it should have been done a particular Oh yeah, way. no no. I think it's brilliant. I think it's interesting as a statement piece and a, a yeah. sort of a slightly more artistic piece mm. uh, for you to be left with a feeling that you otherwise wouldn't usually get leaving it's not very film. mainstream it's, it's more like an indie film mm. I, I, it, I think that's fair i think that's a fair yeah fair. i think I, yeah. in terms of the fact that it leaves you with that particular f- feeling that you wouldn't you know that indie films tend to leave you with which is more challenging your assumptions and mm. making you think about some things rather than necessarily going oh by the way he ends up with the girl and you know it was despite that cantankerous old sergeant major yeah Who's sent off to Guam? Well, we get some satisfaction <laughs> from that, truth. at least. Oh, um, I got satisfaction from that. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Would you guys like some trivia? Always like some trivia. You said there was trivia relating to The Bow That Rocked, which I'm very interested about because that's another film that I got real mad vibes off this from. Mm. And yet another film I have not seen. Yeah, well, The, the Boat That Rocked was like basically a pirate radio in which sea? Oh, it was it was basically it was in it was in Britain. Uh, it was during the sixties, funnily enough, and it was a time when pirate radio was really popular. And in order to get around uh, some of the broadcasting laws, a, a, a pirate radio station was set up on a boat that broadcast out at sea. Um, broadcasting, so they, could, so they could broadcast specific songs because they couldn't broadcast it on land mm. because of the restrictions. 
Yeah. Right. So the connection between this is, this is a real thing that happened. Yeah. The connection. Okay. The connection between this. <laughs> I'm film... not going to play into the legal implications. No, no, no. That's fine. They discuss. The oh no, 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 not at all. But yeah, the whole the point. International was... waters. They do yeah. discuss that in the film. So sure. yeah, it's, you'd enjoy it. You'd enjoy yeah. it. Film. It's a great film. The reason there's a connection between those two films, though, uh, no Beatles songs were played uh, during this film because at the time the copyright to their songs had not been released for use in movies or any other media outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, this was also the case in the film the boat that rocked or as it's written here and known in the uh, states pirate radio it's not actually called the boat that rocked over there yeah no no i knew that i yeah i didn't know that so oh, you didn't no there you go i've only Great ever film, I've, I've only ever watched it in countries that aren't america so um <laughs> the djs worship the beatles and talk about them uh, both adrian and from uh, the boat that rocked uh, but they could not play their songs legally uh, and that's why in this film you were saying that's why they walk around carrying a lot of Beatles records, why Adrian has a lot of Beatles records. You always see them carrying them around, mm. but they never actually play them. Yeah, so it's yeah, you know, it's and again that you know they mention um, a lot of artists that they don't necessarily play. You know, they mention people like the Stones, Perry and, Como. Yeah, although I love Perry Como. Did, did any of the Perry Como get in in the um, in oh, Hawks' reign? I think maybe we might have snuck one or two in there. I don't know. Um, obviously the most well-known bit of trivia and I think we've discussed on this already Robin Williams ad-libbed all of um, Adrian's lines in the broadcasts to be honest they probably just gave him a microphone and went here you go they had a lot of trouble actually I know this is not entirely related because it's Aladdin which is a completely different film well not entirely there were a few lines at the end of this so I'm like (laughs) ah that's that's what you're referencing in Aladdin (laughs) yeah no but the thing with Aladdin was is that they started animating it and then they got him to start recording his dialogue and they, they, they just went we're going to have to like reanimate things and like just work with what he's doing mm. because this is gold. Mm. This is so much better than anything our scriptwriters came up with. This is amazing. And so they just let him go for it. And then they specifically animated to the improvs that he did, like mm. two specific ones. Because they just gave him a microphone. He just went bananas for like hours. And they were like, oh my God. Mm. Right. Oh my God. The film was mostly shot in Bangkok in Thailand, and at the time, several hundred male students from the International American School of Bangkok were recruited as extras to perform in a multitude of shots showing American GIs throughout the film. Uh, As a courtesy, Robin Williams came to the International School of Bangkok and performed a stand-up routine for all students 10th grade and above. Oh, that's amazing. Mm. Right. Well, that, that will sweeten a, the deal, won't it? He mm. was just such a bang-up dude. But that was like I mentioned before, and this is probably won't be in the IMDb trivia at all, and I don't know if he did it for this film, but Robin Williams actually had um, a thing that he used to do a lot of, which was when he was working on a film, he would basically be like, oh, I want to have, you know, underprivileged kids or kids who are homeless or kids who have, like, who've had drug issues or whatever. I want you to bring kids on, essentially, to do, like, internships so that they can essentially learn how to do stuff and da 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 and that was like something that he put into his contracts he's like if I'm going to be in your film then I want you to make sure that there is X number of people who get to come and work on the film Mm. and get experience doing things like yeah and a final bit of trivia uh, Bruno Kirby who played Lieutenant Hawk Mm. uh, said he enjoyed working on this film more than any other in his career he also said he struggled telling any fans this because they all wanted him to say that his proudest work was Godfather Part (laughs) 2 they just would refuse to believe it but I mean you can but you can tell Lieutenant Hawk you can't play a character like that and not love what you're doing yeah Lieutenant Hawk is wonderful. Uh, you know, it's. I really do appreciate seeing actors do a really good job of playing characters who are the butt of jokes. Mm. It's one of the reasons why, uh, in my opinion, Red Dwarf works so well with Chris Barry as Rimmer. Uh, just absolutely nailing that character is constantly undermined. Uh, and yeah, Bruno Kirby is fantastic in this. Mm. Um, I, I think he is as well. Very, and I yeah. think if there was a, a, if they did make a TV show out of it, then he would 
have to come up with another unfunny joke every week or, or mm. you know and I'd, I'd watch it for that yeah <laughs> it's um it's uh who, who's he google from mash it's frank frank burns yeah frank burns it's, yeah. That, it's that sort of character yeah, yeah. Yeah, very. Ne- ne- Nemo's dad from Finding Nemo trying to tell the joke. They're like, "You're a clownfish. You're funny, right?" And he just can't tell a joke to save himself. You're like, mm. "No, just stop. Yeah. Just stop." So, let's score the film. Oh, uh, man. This is where we we score the film out of ten, uh, just because we can, uh, and and also you know it's fun. It maybe gives you at home a slight guide on where we're feeling, and of course you can do your own scores at home as well. Just shout them really loud. We'll hear them uh, if you do it into your podcast device. Uh, Ellen, we'll start with you. What would you give Good Morning Vietnam out of 10? Seven and a half unauthorized broadcasts out of 10? Okay. I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of, it's a weird film because it's kind of unsatisfactory and unfulfilling in a sense, which is what we were talking about before. But at the same time, it's also really enjoying to watch and interesting and a really nice little artistic kind of snapshot of this conflict from a really interesting perspective. But it's not something that I would watch like a million times over and over again. Unlike something like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of another Robin Williams film. Patch Adams. Yeah, Patch, Patch, Jumanji. Uh, Patch Adams is a bit sad, actually. Um, it makes me sad. But like Jumanji, I could watch like a million times RV. over. I'm actually just naming all the bad ones. I've just realized. No, no, don't, don't. No, Jumanji's not bad. What's wrong with you? Okay, it's, it's fine. Juma- I like Jumanji. I could watch Jumanji quite a few times. Patch Adams is too sad for me. Bicentennial Man is really sad. I cried when I saw that in cinemas. Like, I bawled mm. like a child because I was a child. So, I would rate the film... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> maybe 7 out of 10 formaldehyde beers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Formaldehyde in the beer is just... Mm. That was a strange... It I, was. I, and I feel really bad. I couldn't understand anything that, that Jimmy Wah was saying. Mm. Um, but I don't think the characters could either. So, I don't feel that bad. But it, I did catch formaldehyde and beer. But so. he did have... Fabulous suits. He did. It did feel a little bit like he was just in his own film, which was quite fun. But yeah, uh, yeah, I feel like himself and Will, um, as part of the the uh, the softball class. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like he was part of his own film as well. <laughs> yeah. I feel the like... guy just turned up and just started making stuff up. They were like, oh, "This is good. We'll keep this." <laughs> and that was Robin Williams. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. For me, I, I'm gonna have to agree. It, for me, it's 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 a seven. Um, it's fine. It's not outstanding. Um, it and it's really weird because it it it's turned thirty uh, technically at the end of last year. That's the reason we're doing it because it's turned thirty roughly at the start of this year while we were doing the Australia month, and it's it, it's one of those films that is well known. It's in the zeitgeist. Everyone knows. You know, people screaming. You know, Good Morning Vietnam. That that sort of thing. Um, but that's kind of all there is to it. It's 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 a nice story, but there's not a lot of substance to it. So I'm gonna give it seven. Um, Tapes edited so Richard Nixon talks about his testicles <laughs> out of 10. That was great. Yes. So, uh, Alex and Ellen, thank you very much for joining me on this episode. Thank you for dealing with my uh, tangents into 20 different other spaces. Mm. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for <laughs> No worries. And for those of you listening at home, thank you very much for listening. If you want more information, these are the places to go. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. You can also find us on SoundCloud or iTunes. That's where you can actually get the episodes, download them uh, to your device. Um, Basically, if you have a podcasting app, just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club and we'll be there. Uh, We're getting close to 50 episodes now as well, so uh, we've got a nice big back catalogue for you to go back and examine. We also have the Patreon if you want to become a member of the club officially uh then you can join us on patreon just search for the cinema catch-up club there or go to patreon.com forward slash ccuc 
podcast. But that is all for this episode, so until next time... Goodbye, Vietnam! You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.